0: Hey everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to a Broad Street Hockey Radio bonus show. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. Fam, with the the schedule the way it is, Tuesday, Wednesday, back-to-back games, uh, weren't really sure if we were going to get to a flagship show until Thursday, so Charlie and I decided to sit down, talk a little bit about these first three games of this series. Uh, Charlie O'Connor from TheAthletic.com. How's it going, Chuck?
1: Hello, it me. I'm uh, doing quite well, despite the uh, the decreased amount of sleep I've been getting since the playoffs started. But hey, that's it's all part of the game, right? We all got to be, be in playoff mode.
0: We all got to be in playoff mode, and with hockey on from like noon or 3 p.m., you know, pretty much every day <laughs> through midnight. Uh, you know, a game last night goes to goes to overtime. Brayden Shen gets that winner, it's it's fun, but it's absolutely, we were just saying, it went from absolutely nothing to a sprint real quick, but here we are, just want to do like a bo- a little bit of a bonus show for you guys, Charlie, you just got done with uh, media availability for both the Flyers and the Habs, anything noteworthy come out of that, any, any, any little insights that maybe uh, are worth reporting, don't want to spoil
1: anything for your athletic writing, but anything cool? Yeah, not a lot that was terribly interesting. Um, one thing that Davino uh, did note, and I mean, he had, he's he been very careful not to give specifics during this entire, uh, basically since the playoffs started. He was pretty open during the round robin, but it's very clear that now that the playoffs are, are going, he's not interested in giving away much. But he said that they are going to make some changes to the power play, which they need to. It's just, it hasn't been good. Um, there were some points, I think, during round robin where they felt like they were close, and... Now they don't look close anymore. So uh, there, there's probably some uh, some big time adjustments that need to be made there, whether it's strategic or whether it's personnel wise. Uh, but just to hear him say that was was good to hear. They're not just gonna you know keep uh, trying to put a, a square peg into a round hole. Um, one thing that was interesting to me coming out of the Montreal uh, availability uh, that uh, the Kirk Muller mentioned and then uh, Jonathan Drewan backed up was that they felt that one of their biggest issues in game 3 was that the flyers did a very good job of taking away the middle of the ice and not just the middle of the ice from a like the neutral zone but they made the flyers made it a lot harder for them to use the center on breakouts which forced them to go up the wall a lot on their breakouts and then the Flyers were able to muck that up and basically slow everything down and it really cut down they felt on their ability to use their speed. So that was interesting because obviously like we're watching this from a Flyers perspective, we're watching, you know, what is Montreal doing to slow down the Flyers and that was interesting to me because it was like, ah, oh, that that makes sense because I do remember in game 2 how much they were using the, you know, the low man, the center on those breakouts and they were really killing the Flyers in transition. And yeah, in game three, it did seem like a lot of that game was played along the boards. Now, you know, once he said that, I started thinking about it like, yeah, it was just a lot of puck battles, a lot of wars along the boards, not a lot of fast, you know, fast paced back and forth action. So, you know, good on the Flyers for slowing them down. Now the question is whether, you know, Montreal can take that, that they notice and then adjust to it in game four. I want to I wanna start with that because I, I thought I, uh, that was
0: very obvious. The Flyers all year, it seemed, were so good at creating turnovers and taking away time and space on breakouts that they created those mesh points that they talk about, mostly on the penalty kill, but really in all three zones by forcing teams into battles that result in turnovers. Uh, and they finally did a good job of that. Like, you watched the game last night. Everyone noted that was a boring fucking game. But... <laughs> The Flyers played their style. I mean, yeah, maybe they looked more like the New Jersey Devils than we ever want them to, but that's their kind of game. In Game 2, it was so back and forth, uh, so open, especially from Montreal's and They were able to utilize that speed and win those battles because it wasn't so contested in tight space. Are you surprised by what you've seen in this series? Like, man, I, I knew it wasn't going to be a four-game sweep, a blowout of any kind, but... Through three games, the Flyers have scored three goals. Like, Montreal is outscoring them despite being shut out in game three. Uh, Is this more of a fight than you thought it was going to be? Because it definitely is for me.
1: You know, I'm not surprised stylistically. Like, I thought these were going to be close games. You know, watching the way these two teams play in the regular season, I, I knew that stylistically this wasn't going to be a great matchup for the Flyers. Like, I think I said before, before we knew who they were going to play, I was like, Toronto is probably the best team, like, the most talented team they could play, but they're the best matchup. But the fly- what the Flyers do well Goes right at what Toronto doesn't do well, and I was defend, like, yeah, and the I, Flyers and, defend, yeah, and I was like, <laughs> yeah. and Montreal is probably the worst team, but matchup wise, they're probably the worst matchup because what the Flyers do well, Montreal does a good job of countering. So I'm not surprised that it's close. What I guess I am surprised about is just how good the Canadians look. Like they, yes. they look like a very good team. Carey Price looks like vintage Carey Price, you know, and guys like you know. Sperry Kock the Emmy, who was down in the minors in February, you know, Suzuki's playing on the top line and looking good. Like they just, it's just their players. Like, I guess I, I always had respect for their, I always had respect for their system. I always had respect for their style. I didn't expect a lot of their players to be playing as well as they are. And I think that's been the biggest surprise for me personally.
0: No, I mean, before the series started on the last show, we joked like I just don't think they have the firepower to do what they need to do to keep up with the Flyers, and it has been through three games the exact opposite. The Flyers, despite being the top seed, look like a more of a Columbus Blue Jackets team. Like we're going to have to really muck it up to to slow them down, and Montreal are the ones looking to looking to open the game up more do you think the flyers ever break open these floodgates like or is this a dog fight through like six or even seven games do you think it finally the flyers make a but create a bunch of turnovers in the neutral zone get that rush game going again that they had in the second half and have a four or five six goal game or is this is this going to come down to a goalie poll every night
1: you know i just think that i think that at some point the Flyers are going to get their creative game going, and for me, it's it's less forcing turnovers because I'm not I'm not expecting that to happen in the series. I'm not expecting the Flyers forecheck to be as dominant as it normally is against Montreal. I just think Montreal plays the kind of style. They have Carey Price who can slow down the forecheck. They have the kind of players that can counter what the Flyers ideally want to do. But what I do think the Flyers can get better at, and in my mind they have to get better at as the series goes on, is they have to get better at making those creative passing plays in the offensive zone. Like That's what's missing right now with the Flyers. That's what's missing in the offensive zone, and that's what's especially missing on the power play. They... One of the Flyers' biggest underrated strengths coming into the series was that they can pull off, you know, the, the the passing plays that cut across the slot, that go across the goal mount, that start from below the goal line, that really make goalies lives miserable and make, you know, a shot that, you know, from a certain spot on the ice might... you just If you just look at where a shot is taken, you might say, ah eh, that's not that great of a shot. But if you look at the pass that led up to that shot, suddenly that becomes a really dangerous opportunity. And that's what the Flyers can do that Montreal really can't because they don't have the skill to pull off those kind of passes. But the Flyers haven't done it. They haven't been able to do it. And I feel like at some point it's it's going to happen. Like, they got to start clicking on these plays because they're ju- they just have too many good players not for it to happen at some point. But you're just kind of waiting. You're waiting for when that's going to happen, and I don't know when. That's the way Montreal, like, I, I would never call them a great
0: defensive team, but the way they've been able to defend the Flyers and take away those things, like, yeah, you got to believe at a certain point we're going to get the to Voracek, Voracek to the goal mount power play goal and everything works. But it just they it, it's not like the Flyers have been missing. It's been getting taken away so many times in game 3. I felt like every time they tried to cross ice or a centering pass, it hit Deneau's stick. I think D'No no matter what the TOI says, he played 60 minutes last night. Every shift he was out there and tipping a pass away from a sure one-timer scoring opportunity, but uh short of it just opening up and being there, don't they kind of just have to start to muck it up a little more in front of the net and just throw more shots at the net? I feel like they're looking to create too much that isn't there when they need to just basically be battling with Carey Price and forget about the creative stuff until they're able to open it up.
1: I mean, I think they did that a lot in Game 3, at least in terms of, you know, they played— they realized after Game 2 that they can't play their usual game against this team, at least when their creative—the creative side of the Flyers game isn't clicking. They needed to play the game they played in Game 3, as long as they're not firing all cylinders offensively. They played that game, they won it. That said, I mean, I do think that they— they got pucks the that. obviously the the goal they scored was a classic you know just get pucks to the net get a guy in front and get a tip that was how they scored the game winning goal they did miss a lot of shots that was that's one thing that like you know this game maybe doesn't seem as frustrating if the flyers don't miss the net on quite a few of their of their you know high quality opportunities i think it was um evolving hockey or maybe micah um, posted like one of those shot maps after the game and was like if i were the flyers i i I would just stop missing the net from the low slot like it's not like they were getting blocked it was just the flyers were having these opportunities they were missing the net like if you get a couple of those on net maybe you win this game three nothing and no one's that concerned and if you get the power play going then really no one's concerned because you had six opportunities you didn't score on any of them
0: Yeah, so I want to talk—first, missing the net. Travis Konechny is due for a hat-trick just based on how many times he's missed the net. Uh, I'm putting money on Konechny to score on Tuesday, 100%. But getting to the power play, you said Elaine Vigneault talked about there's going to be some strategic mix-ups. There's going to be uh, some—they're going to shake up the personnel, perhaps— what the hell can they do to get this thing going? Because you said, like, yeah, in the round robin, I thought they were creating some opportunities and just not scoring. And we talk about that all the time. That happens. That's hockey. There's a goalie there. It's tough. But now they're not, they had three straight power plays that resulted in zero shots on goal. That can't happen. Like, if they were to play the Phantoms, like, that's that's unbelievable. Anyway, like, how, how do you think they should uh, switch this thing up?
1: I honestly don't know. Uh, number one, they, first of all, they need to do a better job of getting in the zone. I mean, that's first and foremost. They just need to do a better job. They need to be more decisive on their entries. They need to work better as a five-man unit and spread out the uh, you know Montreal as they're trying to slow them down in the neutral zone. So that's number one. Before you can even fix anything in terms of structure, you gotta you gotta resolve that issue. That's that's first and foremost. After that, then I don't know. I, you know, it's it's interesting. As much as I hate the Claude Giroux on the right side thing, that I wonder if it's going to be what they do. because, Dude, they're get, they're getting... because it's 2020! Well, just... That's why! It's going to work because it's 2020! It's also because like, they're, just, they're getting pressured so much. And the one yeah. disadvantage of having Giroux on his off wing is that it's a little bit harder for him to protect the puck. And they might think... Well, if we're going to go with this, just get shots on that approach and not be super trying to be super creative with these crazy passing plays, maybe put Drew back on the right side and just make it easier for him to hang on to the puck and and harder for Montreal to get easy clears. Like, I don't know if I would like it, but truthfully, it's not like this is working. So at this point, you know, fine. Give something else a shot. I don't know if they're going to go that route, but to me, like, that's an audible that I could see because they've done it before. In, during the season, as we know to to our frustration, so it seems like something that they could pull off. Beyond that, then it just I guess it comes down to making personnel changes. Like obviously, you're not pulling Drew off that unit. I don't think you're pulling Voracek off that unit, but you know, do you try to do like a double net front and bring JVR back? Like I don't know. These are things that you can you can consider if especially if you're going to try this whole you know just get pucks on net and figure it out from there type of thing.
0: No, and that's like if you're gonna if you're gonna move. Let's say they move G over to the right. Well, that means you'd think moving Voracek over to the left. But we've seen that just takes away the one timer possibilities entirely between those two. Maybe you put another righty over on over on that left side to replace Giroux. I don't know, uh, but it's it, they need to fix this man because it it's not. You have to score on these power plays. They had a 5-on-3 in Game 2 they didn't score on. They had the double minor they didn't score on in Game 3. This is going to hurt them when they're the number 1 seed. I would hate to see it come down to this, but I do put my trust in Elaine Vigneault that they're going to get this stuff figured out. Like you talked about in Game 2, Montreal used the middle of the ice to break out. Game 3, the Flyers took it away. So I believe in this coaching staff to get it taken care of. But let's move on to the personnel. Man, I just don't know what to do with this bottom six. It, it It's still in flux. I, Raffles back, that seemed good. I wondered if he was just coming back because that's what you do, or if he was really ready and he seemed at least uh, pretty pretty good to go for game three. What do you do with this bottom six? Does it get to the point of putting Lawton at 3C just because you have to, or how would you fix this thing?
1: Yeah, it's... I mean, the, the big debate here really just boils down, I think, to Nate Thompson. Because that, that's, the, that's the lightning rod that's going on. And obviously, a lot of people got really angry when Vino praised that, that Thompson line last night. I actually thought, like, my view of Nate Thompson is I don't think he sh- probably should be in the lineup. But if you're going to have Nate Thompson in a game, game three was the exact game you want Nate Thompson in. Because it's the kind of game where, like, one mistake could lose you the game, and I would trust a guy like him more than, say, a Connor Bunneman or a Morgan Frost in that type of game. That said, I don't think the path to the Flyers going to the Cup Final is just locking Nate Thompson in the lineup because he's just not that good. So that's the question. And one thing that's interesting to me about this, because you mentioned Lawton, we were uh, justifiably praising the shit out of that Lawton Hayes connecting line during the round robin, it hasn't done shit in this round, at least offensively. And they've spent a lot of time in their own zone. So, like, if your biggest benefit to keeping Lawton on the wing is that you have this line that's clicking and that line is no longer clicking, then suddenly, you know, it's just, I, I think the change I might make, I don't know if I'd make it for game four because I just don't know how Game 4 is going to play. I don't know if Game 4 is going to look more like Game 3 or if it's going to be more open. But I, I do. I like the idea of maybe bringing Faraby back in and putting him on that line, too, with, with Hayes and Konechny because that line wasn't bad this year. And then even maybe, like, you know, the Thompson line got more minutes than the Grant line last night. So yeah. maybe you just put Lawton at center on that fourth line because, to me, Lawton can play the same game Thompson does. He's just better yeah that's the as as much as we like as
0: much as we talked about how it was getting pretty hard to take this job away from Scott Lawton to start the playoffs. The thing is, it's not two weeks ago. Things are not clicking the way they were, yeah. Yeah. and he seems like the candidate to to move into that three C spot. And so you want to keep
1: uh, you want to keep G, Jake, and Couturier together. Yeah, I think they're. I mean, they scored the one goal. They dominated the shit out of the Dano line last night and the the Weber Sheratt line. I think they're close. I think if the Fly- they seem like yeah. they're finally getting yeah. there. If the Flyers have a line that is close to really breaking through, it's them. And, you know, from a play-driving standpoint, they've been great. You know, obviously they had the, 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 the good night last night. I do not want to pull them apart at this point. I think that's the closest thing you have to an offensive breakthrough, and that's not something I want to fuck with.
0: What do you do with James Van Riemsdyk? <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I, I am – I have, like, gone out of my way not to criticize him over these last two seasons. Game one is the first time I've ever said, like, I think he played very bad. And I just, like, for a fourth liner, I know we want our best players out there, but I just saw way too many times, like, a puck was in a corner, defenseman got it out, and he just made a big C-turn rather than, like, engaging. Like, I know that's not your game, but you're on the fourth line, dude. You need to put your body on his and he just, didn't, he just didn't seem interested in that. Like, with the power play struggling as it is, I, I feel stupid for wanting to take him out, but it's not like he's helping, you know? So, I, what the hell do you do with JVR? I just,
1: I can't justify taking him out because I just feel like... Nate Thompson's in the fucking lineup. That, but it's also just that, you know, he's still a good player. And, yeah. you, and he's one of those types of good players that you never know when it's going to click for him. You know what I mean? Like, there's some guys where, you know, there's guys like Sean Gaturier There's guys like, you know, Jake Voracek in his prime where even when they're not scoring, they're doing other stuff and they're noticeable and you're like, yeah, they're playing well and the goals are going to come. With JVR, it's just like he's just there for three games and then out of nowhere he scores in three straight games. And you don't want to take him out because you don't want to miss out on those times when he's just firing on all cylinders. And it's really hard to predict when they're going to happen because they do seemingly come out of nowhere. So I just I, I don't like the idea of removing him from the lineup entirely. I like the idea of kind of, you know, I know we, we scream and yell about JVR, and I get it. You know, he's he's a $7 million player. He's a high-profile name. But, like, he's getting used as the third-line or fourth-line winger. And generally speaking, third-line and fourth-line wingers don't score a lot. Like, they're just they, – they just the, – the hope is that they're not going to hurt you. And the thing with but, JVR is that JVR provides the opportunity for – a third or fourth line winger to also help you a lot. So it's not like he's on the first line and doing nothing. He's in the bottom six and doing nothing. So I feel like you can afford to wait on him, hoping that it clicks for him at some point. I get the frustration though, because he's been, yeah, he had some good shifts last night, but like you, you almost feel like when you're watching him, you're like, you're looking for a reason not to be mad at him. You know what I mean? No, he had
0: he had like one incredible shift last night. I was like, oh damn, can't wait to talk about that one. Yeah, right. was, but like, I get it. He's on a third and fourth line. But we always say like, you know, when when Jeru was centering the a, a line with Hartnell and Simmons for a period, we were like, well, Jeru has to do all the hockey, yeah. you know. <laughs> like JVR, I know he can score goals, but. He needs to be out there with some guys who are going to do more of the hockeying for him so he can get in position to score. Don't you have to get him some shifts in the top 6 sometimes to take advantage of that ability?
1: Yeah, maybe. Um I kind of like but I you know, just don't know who you take that's out. That's the thing, like, you know, he's he's a left winger. I don't really... They, they, he never was really able to click too well with Hayes, so that puts no, you... No, I don't like that yeah, combo. Yeah, so that puts you in a tough spot, because I don't want him up with Couturier. Like, I, I don't want him getting first-line matchups with Sean Couturier. I don't think he no, can as, do it.
0: No, as skilled and, like, as many goals as we want the G, Couturier, Jake line to score, and we've seen them score, like, they're doing a hell of a job as a shutdown line, you know? It's... You want more offense out of them, but... I, no, I'm not putting JVR up there either, so it's kind of a problem without a solution until they really have a, a decent 3C, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's tough, and my hope, I think—I I, I legitimately wonder if they might consider moving JVR up to the top power play unit, and it's tough because he hasn't earned it, but in the playoffs, it's kind of like, welp, we might as well just throw some shit at the wall and hope it sticks— and I do wonder, because they have talked a lot about simplifying their approach, I wonder if that double net front isn't something they consider. Maybe you you, you put TK back at net front on one side, you put JVR on the others, you got the lefty-righty tandem, and you just funnel shots towards the net and try to do passes in close and go from there. You know It might be tough because you got guys like Weber and Sherrod who are big and physical guys, but what they're doing ain't working. And maybe you get JVR back on the top power play unit and maybe that sparks him, I don't know.
0: Our, uh, our, our buddy Bobby Haig, he's staying in the lineup, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, he is. And you know what?
0: It's I, those big mistakes, man. It's I, I, those standout mistakes. I
1: can't get mad about it.
0: I really no, can't. No, no. Not mad about it at all.
1: And, and, and you know what the big reason? I, I I hinted at this. I didn't hint at it. I flat out said it on Twitter before the game. It's not even Ghost. It's Braun. I don't think Braun can play with Shane Gossesbear. And he's, no. he's he said that like oh it's not that big of a deal you know I just have to adjust a little bit no big deal like they look like dog shit together
0: they're terrible together like
1: game two you know I I said in my column after game two that I understand if they they bring Hagen for Ghost and it's not because Ghost was the worst player on that pair Braun was the worst player on that pair in game two it's just that I don't think they're pulling Braun out because he's he's good on the PK. So, it's like, okay, well, if you need to get more out of Braun, the best way to do it is probably to do do one of two things. It's either you flip-flop the pairings and you put Braun up with Sandheim, or you give Braun Haig back because they have better chemistry. And with how bad Braun played in Game 2, you can't justify giving him a promotion. You can't be like, hey, buddy, you got torched constantly. Here's second pair minutes. All you really can do is put him with a guy he plays better with, and that's Robert Hague. Like, yeah, Shane Gossman is a better hockey player than Robert Hague, but I think the third pair, because of whatever Braun's issue with Ghost is, third pair works better when Braun's with Hague, and I guess that's what you have to go with. I guess. To me,
0: to me, Braun's issue with Ghost is simply that Braun is good in the defensive zone. Yes, but he's going to be there a lot. That's where Ghost is never going to be a plus player. Can he help you on some breakouts when he's playing well? Can he not be bad there? Sure. But he's never going to be more than an average player in his own zone. Well, he it's just not going to work. They're not a good... You would think, okay, well, Ghost can help with the breakout, and then boom, it's they, they fix each other's flaws, but really they accentuate each other's flaws. So I, I, it just doesn't seem like it's going to work in this matchup. Uh, I, it doesn't seem good for for Ghost and for he and Braun together. I, I got no problem with Haig being in. They're fine. It's a third pair. They can kill penalties and do all
1: that shit. It's fine. Yeah, there was one sequence in Game Two that was just hor- horrifyingly bad, and it was prime. It was like Ghost. There, there was a loose puck in the air. Ghost tried to like bat it out of the air and missed. And Ghost was on the left side. Braun was on the right side. Like, that's the way they're supposed to be structured. And the puck hit the ice, and Braun just decided to go over to Ghost's side and chase it. And Ghost was just left standing there, like, in his spot, confused. Like, very clearly confused of, like, why the hell Braun just went and freelanced to the left side. And then Montreal gets the puck back, and rather—I guess maybe it was because he— Braun was hoping Ghost would move back over to the right, but Ghost didn't do it. Then Braun, like, circles around Ghost to try to get back to the right side. And in the meantime, Montreal is scoring a goal. And it's like, what the hell are you guys even doing? No, and that's, like, maybe
0: their styles don't complement each other, but they clearly have not played well enough to have that sort of, like, you see me do something, you react, that unspoken chemistry. They have zero chemistry, and this is not the time to be figuring that out. Like, in pursuit of a Stanley Cup, sorry, Ghost didn't play enough this year to have that, especially with someone who joined the team this year. Uh, Alright, we're going to wrap this up, but first, Charlie, I got a question in post-game last night that seemed insane to me, but it came up and other people said, no, it's not as crazy as you think. Uh, They're playing back-to-backs on on Tuesday and Wednesday. Hart has to play in the back like. Save the say the game goes three plus overtimes on Tuesday. Okay, maybe you make a switch just because of that because he played two games in one day. But Hart plays the back to backs unless something ridiculous happens, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. This uh. is like this isn't a situation like. Um... Yeah, you know, there are some teams that are legitimately using a tandem. You know, Carolina is using a tandem. Columbus was sort of using a tandem. Now Elvis is hurt, so now they're just rolling with Corpusala, Plus, Corpusala has been great, so it's it's been a no brainer. Um, and then obviously you have Vegas, but like Vegas has two great goalies. They have Flurry yeah. and Laner. Like it's easy, it's easy to to, to face a back to back of your Vegas and say, yeah, we'll let our one B start this game and our one A start the other. Like sure, why not? No, the Flyers have a number one, and that number one is Carter Hart. And Brian Elliott, while he played fine in the round robin, and I don't think he's as bad as some people seem to, he's the number two. No, this is this is Carter Hart's show. Carter Hart's been the best player on the team so far in this series. He gets both those games unless this is like a four overtime game in uh, on Tuesday. I think. All right. All right. Thanks.
0: Uh, thanks a lot, Charlie. I know you had a bunch of stuff going on today, as we all do. As these playoffs are just. A thing of beauty, but uh, the puck has probably dropped about two minutes ago because it was supposed to be 3 p.m., and it's, like, close (laughs) to 3.30, so it's probably just about to get underway. Uh, So thanks a lot to Charlie for joining me, and thank you all for listening. Thanks for hanging out. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. Just search Broad Street Hockey wherever there are podcasts. That's it for us today. Have a great week, everybody. Let's fucking go, Flyers! Let's
1: fucking go. Let's fucking go. Woo! Hey, Bill. Just wanted to send you a quick note from north of the border here. Let's fucking go!
0: Let's fucking go! Woo! Let's fucking go! 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 Go Flyers! Woo! Let's
1: fucking go Flyers! Woo! Let's fucking go! Let's fucking go! Woo! Let's fucking go!
0: Let's fucking go! Let's fucking go! Woo! Let's fucking go! Let's fucking go! go! Let's fucking go boys